Exodus 34, 5. And while we're turning there, uh, just had a few thoughts I was thinking of sharing last week. I never got around to it. But I uh, just want to talk for a minute about the state of the, the world we live in, the state of the country, this nation we live in. There's a lot of unrest in this country. And to the point of the riot that happened at the Capitol building, a lot of other unrest. Uh, I saw the other day on a pickup truck that was in front of me uh, a profanity about the governor of this state of Pennsylvania. There's a lot of bad and harsh and hard feelings. There's a lot of fear. And there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen to our society, what's going to happen to our economy, what's going to happen to our children and grandchildren, and what's going to happen here and there and everywhere. It seems like there's so much instability in the world we live in today. And Jesus said that in these times that because iniquity abounds, the love of many would grow cold, that people would betray and hate one another. And so, what should the attitude of the Christian be? To get all wrapped up in the fear and the, and, the, and the consternation of the world we live in? Or to continue to keep ourselves in the love of God, as it says in the book of Jude? And to continue to trust God, even in perilous times? That should, be the, that should be the attitude of the Christian. None of this has taken God off of his throne. God is still on the throne. And prayer still changes things. The attitude of the Christian is still the same. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we're not to worry and to be fearful. Because though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no evil will I fear, because you are there with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, even in dark times. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. In chapter 34, of Exodus in verse 5 now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord and the Lord passed before him before Moses and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God merciful gracious long-suffering abounding in goodness and truth and keeping mercy for thousands, and for forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We begin to look at the character of God and understand who God is. Excuse me. We understand things, God tells us things about himself. 
he is giving us a factual account of who he is and what he's like. It says... That he is merciful, that he's gracious, long-suffering, that means suffering long with people, being patient with people. Abounding in goodness and in truth. Keeping mercy and forgiving sin, iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is what God is like. And so when we read... We don't have to turn there, but when we read in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as he walked in love and he gave himself for us. God tells us, because we're his children, to be like him. To walk in the character of that he walked, that he is in. To be like him. Imitate him. Imitate the Father. Imitate the Son. It says, walk in love as he walked in love and gave himself for us. We begin to understand as we look at the life of Jesus and the Father who sent him, the demonstration of love, what love really is. And that's why in 1 John it says that God is love. And he who does not love does not know God. Part of the testimony of knowing God is the change that it brings into our life. And the change that it brings into our life is a change of character. A change of attitude from who we were to who we are in Christ that we begin to exhibit the character of Christ as we live and walk in His Spirit. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And He said, this is it. He said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in these two commands, the whole law is summed up. It's an attitude that must begin in the heart. Not a show. Not a facade. Not a cloak. But the Bible tells us to put off the old man. In in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, put off the old man our human nature, which is corrupt, but put on the new man that's created after God in righteousness and true holiness. God has given us, when we're born again, He's given us His Spirit, He's given us His nature, which gives us the ability to imitate Him. And to imitate Him means to imitate His character, or who He is. And what he's about. The ability to be able to give of ourselves. And to put others before ourselves. That's the love of God. 
Romans chapter 5, it says that for God's children, it says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the spirit he's given us. So if the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, if we're born again, if we have received the spirit, then we're able to imitate God the imitators of God, as his dear children. So, well, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Sure. It's a supernatural order. So, well, that's pretty hard to do. I don't know if I can do that. Well, and there's only two questions. Number one, Do I have the Spirit of God in me? Have I been born again? And if the answer to that is yes, then the second question would be, well then, why not walk in it? Why not walk in the Spirit? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Spirit He's given us. If we can say yes to number one, the, number, the question number two tells us that if we believe we can't love the way Jesus did, that we've fallen into deception. That if we can't put others before ourselves and lay down our lives and deny ourselves and pick up our cross and carry it, all those things that Jesus commanded are made possible through the Spirit He's given us. The Bible tells us to, that if we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. It's all made through the Spirit He's given us. It's all made possible through the Spirit He's given us. And when we fall into deception, those truths begin to fade out on us. That yes, we can love others and put others before ourselves. We can love others the way God does. We can love others the way Jesus did and gave Himself for us. Those things are not only possible, but doable through the Spirit He's given us. And if that's not where our mind is, if we're doubtful about those things, we're under deception. We're not really embracing the factual truth of the Word of God. And that's exactly what it is. That we are, we are somehow not seeing things clearly the way God has revealed them to us. So we look in 1 John chapter 4. Brothers, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this is the love of God manifest toward us, 
that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for His sins, for our sins. Brothers, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. You know, you can't get away from these truths that part of knowing God is knowing His character and knowing His will. If That's where the question is, do I know God or do I just know about God? Do I know Him? Because if I know Him, I know what His character is like. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God, the, the love of God was manifested towards us in that He gave us His Son. Jesus manif- showed His love towards <coughs> us by giving His life for us. And He says, love one another as I have loved you. No greater love has any man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so it tells us here that we ought to love one another in the same way. Brothers, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us. It says it in John 15. Love one another as I have loved you. Giving of ourselves putting others before ourselves. When Jesus came down here and everything that he went through and everything he suffered and everything that happened on the cross and, and all that and descending into Hades and everything, none of that was for him. Not any of it was for him. He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of us. He put others before himself. This is another centered message of giving of ourselves towards others. Not just those who loved us either. Not just to those who are nice to us. We'll get into that a little more later. In verse 17 it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. These are the kind of things that we read in the scriptures that sometimes make us feel uncomfortable. But yeah, I, I just blew all this this morning <laughs> like in my own house. We can say something like that and feel that way. But there are certain truths that we embrace here. Although we may have blown it, that as we walk in the Spirit, we're able to set forth a pattern of of abiding in Christ's love in our life and demonstrate it just the way Jesus demonstrated it to us. By giving of ourselves, laying down our lives, doing things for others, even though they don't deserve it. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. 
Have you ever been tormented by fear? Anxiety? Trepidation of all kinds? What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen in this situation and that? My loved ones? This, you know, all kinds of things that we could make lists about. Walking in fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. And as we've mentioned before in Galatians 5, uh, that it says that faith works through love. Faith works by love, the King James says. There's a connection between walking in love and being able to stand by faith. The opposite is true, that if we're not walking in love, it undermines our trust in God, our faith in God. Say, well, why is that? In 1 John chapter 3, it gives us clear indication as to why. So we read a couple things. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, And this the children of God, and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our, the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Very clear indications before we go on of the Christian life. That our attitude towards other, embracing fellowship, being there for our brothers and sisters. We should be big believers in our in relationship with one another. If we have a relationship with God, the vertical relationship, it opens the door to relationship with one another. If we love God, we also love one another. Because that's His command. In verse 18 it says, My little children, let us love in word or let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart, condem <clears throat> for our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Brothers, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. There is a connection between walking in the love of God and having confidence, as we read here. Love it if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So when my heart feels condemned, I feel... Um, Conviction, I haven't been living right, I've been walking in love. Well, then we repent. And we understand the target, the commitment of the Christian is to love God and to love one another. 
<coughs> to believe on the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and to love one another as he gave his commandment. If we follow his voice in this, in this, in this what he's telling us, it'll give us confidence. Our, our conscience won't be bothering us. If our conscience is bothering us, we need to uh, unburden ourselves of a burdened conscience and confess our sin. And He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We'll be cleansed. And we can come boldly again to the, mer the throne of mercy and grace. <coughs> but we don't want to be a yo-yo of just bouncing back and forth you know, of, of just walking in an unloving attitude and then having to repent of it and then finally clearing our conscience and then being able to have confidence with God and it's back and forth and back and forth. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. In other words, it's gone to all corners of our heart and we are able to walk in it if we believe in it. If we believe that truth that the love of God has been put in our heart, the love that Jesus had in his heart, the love that God has towards us, that he's put that in our hearts. Remember, Ephesians 5, once again, verse 1, be Im imitators of God as his dear children and walk in love as he walked, as he loved us and <coughs> gave his life toward us. Excuse me. If God tells us to imitate Him and to imitate His love toward us, we must believe that it's possible. How can we do something that we don't believe is possible? You see that if we don't believe what God's saying, it'll undermine the way we live. Believing the Word of God opens the door to us to walk in it. But if we don't believe these truths, it undermines our ability to walk in it. Very simple. Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 38, Matthew 5:38. You have heard that it was said, <clears throat> an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. If anyone wants to see you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. 
Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and for him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn again. And you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you have more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, imitating God. Be like God. It says right here, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we may say, oh, nobody's perfect. Nobody can live exactly like Jesus. and We can go on making all these reasonings. But the command doesn't change. This is the target. This is the way that we're commanded to live. And as you begin to examine what he's saying... You begin to see that what he is commanding instead of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Jesus says in verse 39, not to resist an evil person. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I wish I have a dollar for every preacher I've ever heard try to tell me that what Jesus said, he wasn't really saying what, exactly what he said there. The fact is, is this is what he said. The first covenant, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The prophet Jeremiah says, the days are coming that God would make a new covenant. He says, it would not be like the covenant that I gave to Moses on Mount Sinai and to the children of Israel. The New Covenant has different teachings than the First Covenant. That's what rubbed a lot of the Pharisees the wrong way. Jesus was teaching things that were different and sometimes contrary to the First Covenant. Who's this guy think he is? He's preaching blasphemous stuff. He was introducing the New Covenant. And with the New Covenant was new teachings. And so he says, the first covenant says this, that I, in instituting new covenant, say do this. And Jesus demonstrated it himself in his life. He said they were striking him and saying, prophesy, who struck you? They blindfold him and they're hitting him. He could have stopped it at any time. He had the power to stop it. He said he could have called 12 legions of angels to rescue him. But he knew the will of the Father and he continued on. And when they struck him on the one cheek, he let him strike him on the other. Be imitators of God as his children. 
talk about people taking things away from you. Let them have them. They take away your tunic, let them have your cloak. Of course, those are not what we call our clothes now. But if we say if someone wants to take your coat, let them have your sweater too. In verse 41, it says, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Now this really struck a nerve with the Jewish people that a lot of us may not know about. Because if someone compels you to go one mile, was strikes a nerve with the Jewish people who hated the Romans. This was one of the law of the Romans. <coughs> the Romans occupied Israel. They were under Roman uh, authority. They were under Roman rule. The Romans had conquered them. And they were very cruel and harsh to them. <coughs> and there was a law, that's the Roman law, that says that if a Roman commanded you, a Roman soldier commanded you that you had to carry his armor one mile. That was Roman law. And the Jewish people hated the Romans because they were cruel to them, of course. And Jesus said, if they make you carry them, their armor one mile, go another mile. We get the term the extra mile. To love those you hated before. Love to hate to love your enemies instead of hating them. Give to him who asks you and for him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Imitating God. God makes the sun rise on the evil man's house. As well as the Christian's house. Let's the rain come on the field of the unbeliever's house as well as the Christian's house. Be imitators of God as his children. That you may be sons of your fathers in heaven. Imitating Christ. The imitation of Christ. The imitation of our Father who is in heaven. Can we say, as, G as he is, so we are in the world. Well, we squirm inside, we feel that. We hear that, because we remember all the things that come to mind where we have not done things, we have not loved others the way God would have done it, the way God has commanded us to. Now we may say, well, God's going to bring judgment of hellfire on everybody who doesn't obey Him, who doesn't follow Him, and doesn't believe on Him, who reject Him. In His time, that's true. But that's not this time. This is the time of grace. This is the period of grace and mercy. That God loves us all. And He's given us an opportunity. Why Jesus hasn't come back yet is because it says that He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to the truth and be saved. Another expression of God's mercy. 
He could bring judgment against all who have broken his commands at any time. All who don't believe on his son at any time. And why hasn't he done it yet? People mock it. Say, ah. People say Jesus is going to come back. And where's he at? 2,000 years, nobody. Or look at those people doing evil. Why hasn't God brought the hammer down on them? You know? Why isn't God judging them yet? What's wrong with him? Because he loves them. Even though they're doing evil, he loves them. And he died for them as well as us. God is being patient. We read at the very beginning of this that God is long-suffering. He's suffering long with those who are rejecting him. And those who are being harsh and cruel, he loves them too as well as the victims of it. And God interferes and times brings judgment as he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. But he does it as an example to others. To warn others. As, a, as an act of mercy and love in his warning of others that they need to repent. When he brings judgment on some. The Apostle Peter tells us that the reason why God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities was a, that judgment was an example for those who would live afterwards that God would bring judgment against those who lived in sexual perversion the way they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. And immorality as they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was a warning through the ages until the time of judgment that there is a judgment of God. Just as he's brought judgment on others throughout the course of history as he chose, as a warning to those who would live that way. Because he loves them and he loves us. And he says, if we only do love those who love us, he says, we're just walking like like the people of the world. If we don't love those who are enemies, those who use us, those who curse us, if we don't love them, he says, we're no different than people in the world. He says, but love those who don't love us. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you only love those who are your brothers, what are you doing more than anybody else? You just be like your father. He lets the sun rise on the evil man's house and the good man's. Be like him. Be imitators of God. And so we'll finish what I have here with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is, of course, known as the love chapter. It's read at every wedding just about. Or many weddings, I should say. And it's important that it be read at weddings because... It's important for it to be practiced in marriage, in the family and domestic situations, as well as other 
relationship situations. First Corinthians chapter 13. Or am I in Second Corinthians? It begins, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am become like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, in all knowledge, though I have all faith, so I can remove mountains, but have not love, nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, profits me nothing. You say, well, how can you give all your goods to the poor to feed the poor and not have love? It says, how can I have all these spiritual gifts and knowledge and all this stuff? We can do things out of religious duty because God says so. We can do things, acts of love without having love. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I think Jesus exposed that in the Pharisees when he said, you're like, he says you do all these acts, you know, to be seen by men. Or to, sometimes people do things to appease God's judgment, God's uh, wrath. They look, God, I'm doing all these things you told me. And so, but above all, he says, that we have to have love, his love in our hearts. To have his love shed abroad in our hearts. So when he says here, verse 4, love is patient, suffers longer, long-suffering. Where did we read that before? God says about himself, remember, the Lord, the Lord God, long-suffering. Love is kind. God said that about himself, that he was kind. Not jealous, not proud, parading itself, puffed up. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart, humble. We also read that the meek, the humble, shall inherit the earth. Love is not rude, in verse 5. It's not self-seeking. It's not selfish. Remember, Jesus laid down his life for us. He put us before himself. Not selfish. Not self-seeking. Seeking the good of others before himself. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. We read where God declared about himself that he is full of uh, mercy and truth. 
Verse 7, bearing all things, believing all things. One version says, believing the best of others. Hopes all things and endures all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. And that's something that we should remind ourselves of all the time, that love never fails. Sometimes when we love others who don't love us, and we don't see it affecting them, it's like, oh man, this isn't working. (laughs) We're missing the whole point. We're living before God. We're doing this because this is what God has put in our hearts to do. We're living out what He's put in our hearts. God is at work in us to do at the will of His good pleasure. What is His good pleasure? Love one another as He loved us. To imitate Him. That's His pleasure. And that's what He's at work doing in us. It never fails. It is... The Bible tells us to keep us, keep ourselves in the love of God. And in this time of corrupt society, corruption, government corruption, every kind of corruption you can name, we continue in the love of God and keep ourselves in the love of God. Love never fails. The command hasn't changed. To love those in the government who are not we're not doing what we, is moral and right according to the scriptures. To still love them, respect and honor them, even if we don't agree with them. To love those of our household, even if they're not loving and kind to us. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? For those that are our loved ones who are closest to us, they say hurtful things or do hurtful things, to return that evil with good, it's a little harder to those who are close to. But it's still the same, and it never fails. We are the lights of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, that they see the love of God in you, And glorify your Father in heaven. In verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these things is love. This is the greatest of all the commandments. And it's the greatest of all things that we're to walk in. Everything else will pass away. Faith, hope, and love will continue. Especially love. Love will continue through eternity. There's not always going to be a need for faith and hope. Because we'll see at one time we won't need those things anymore. But love will always continue throughout eternity. So, it says that if we speak in tongues, we 
to understand all mysteries, be a good teacher, a preacher, prophet. If we don't have love, there's a lot of noise. We're just making a lot of noise. A clanging of cymbal. Clang, clang, clang. A blowing of a horn. That's all it is. The band plays on. It's just a lot of noise. But if we don't walk in the love of God, it profits me nothing. And so, the reason for this review and this reminder from the, from the Holy Scriptures, from the Word of God, is that it's the greatest commandment. That we should love one another. So that our joy might be full, Jesus said. Love one another as I have loved you, that your joy may be full. Remember that word joy? Maybe we haven't been experiencing it much lately. It said Jesus rejoiced in his heart. And said, Father, I thank you. Jesus knew the joy of the Father. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. It says love, joy, first to love and joy. We go together. Because if we walk in the love of God, the joy of the Lord will be ours. The joy of the Lord is our strength we read in the book of heaven. If we don't experience joy, then we know more. I'm not talking about always being, you know, smiley-faced. What we're talking about is that condition of our heart. If we have a rejoicing heart or not. The condition of our inner man. Is it in a place of joy? And if it's not, if it's in a place of misery, if it's in a place of hardness, a sourness or bitterness, now we know why. Because we left the love of God. And we're walking in our own love. We love those who love us. We've been injured by others. Others have done wrong to us. And we begin to be hard and bitter and sour inside. And we're no longer walking <coughs> in the love of God and the joy <coughs> vanishes. <coughs> Just like that. <clears throat> love one another as I have loved you that your joy might be full and that your joy, my joy may remain in you be imitators of God as dear children